Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. It's based on the prophetic word that we received as a community. So I want you to, uh, Zach, if you have that ready, I want you to see this is about four minutes. This is my intro, okay? We received this last week. Uh, now, now, how many know there's times that God specifically speaks to you, right? Like he'll, the word speaks to everybody, but there are some times that the Lord says, this is for you. So, so when, when God says something, li- listen to this. This is what I, I shared my, with my people. When God gives us a prophetic word or gives you a prophetic word, it's not inevitable. In other words, it's not going to happen automatically. There, you have to do something and partner with something and agree with something in order to come to pass. So here's the illustration, right? So prophecy is the Father giving, uh, just for lack of, 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 of words, a bouquet of flowers to you or to the body of Christ, right? And, and he's saying, this is for you. And you are marveling at the beauty of this bouquet of flowers. It's purple with all these colors and red and blue. And the Lord is saying, this is for you. What does, listen, even though he says it's for you, you don't possess it yet, and it's not inevitable. Inevitable. What do you have to do? But here's what the body of Christ does. Here's for you, and we talk about all the things that he's, he's promised to give us. Oh, did you see those flowers? Did you see the beauty of the bouquet? And God's like, and you're like, guys, he spoke this over us. He's given us flowers. You should have seen purple, red, blue, yellow, the colors I've never seen. What do you have to do about that? So prophecy is here. This is for you. What do you got to do? You got to grab it, take it, and then you got to tend to it. That's how prophecy is fulfilled in your life. You hear a word, and you're willing to say, oh, I want to change everything to try to grab it and seek after what God is doing. And so that's what we're doing. So I want you to hear this prophetic word. Uh, go ahead and pray that, Zach. It's about four minutes, and then we'll go into our message today. Now, as far as prophetically for this church, I was just encouraged by the Lord that this is like Ephesus. I felt like the Lord saying, this church is like the Ephesus church, and he gave me just Out of each chapter, what are the pillars of this church? Now, I don't know the fullness. You can take it for what it is. But the first is identity. The whole first chapter is about us coming into our identity. And this is a church that brings people into identity. That that is part of who you are. You bring people into identity. And then chapter 2 is about bringing people into reconciliation not only that they experience being reconciled into heaven, but also reconciled amongst one another. I feel like the spirit of reconciliation works in this church. And then the third chapter, which I have to look again. Oh, love. First love. That's what God wanted from the Ephesus church. And this chapter three is that one where, oh, I want them to have all of them to have power to know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth. Part of the dynamic aspect of this church is to bring people into first love, that they would find themselves in first love and how to receive love from God and how to give the love of God. I really sense that. Then chapter four, okay, I have to look again. Oh, equipping the saints. Yes, this is an equipping church. I feel like people are able to receive their gifts, their callings. Their co- they come into it. They didn't know what they were made for, but the Lord then is saying, oh, here's gifts. So I feel like you people come into their gifts here. 
Okay, chapter five is about marriage. And I really feel people come here and experience restoration in their marriage. And I feel like that is part of their calling. It's part of your calling. It's part of your calling that people would be restored in marriage and they would also be restored in any of that love relationship with the Lord. But I specifically feel marriage is strong in this church and rooting people, establishing them in marriage. And then chapter six, it's about children. And I feel, <laughs> I feel like that is a new, like there's gonna be an expansive children's ministry here. I really feel that strong and that children will be equipped in the ways of the Lord very young. Samuels will grow up here and they'll be ones who easily minister. No pressure though, there's no pressure. I just feel like no pressure. There's no pressure in it. I really sense the Lord saying no pressure. Like, but it's like the children are just easily going into being with the Lord. You know, there's no pressure. They just do it naturally. But then with chapter six is, is equipping people to in warfare. I feel like to war. I feel, <laughs> how do you be a first love church and war? Well, first love is the, I believe first love is the first act of warfare. I believe first love and identity, if you have identity and first love, you're pretty much good as far as warfare, but there are times to use the word and how do you use the word? Hallelujah. And I feel specifically in warfare. So I feel like those pillars are gonna come forth, but I specifically feel first love is your, like so many years ago, Sean Bowles came to our, um, our place, and he's, he said, you know, he saw an angel come with a lampstand, and that lampstand was first love. He said, he's only seen it one other time. So I was like, amen. And he said, the church is going to be called to first love in your place. I sense that here. I feel like people will come into first love here. I feel like that is part of the, the fragrance that the Lord wants to receive from this place is first love. First love, so amen. Okay. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise for that. Now, when I heard that, the Holy Spirit says, uh, he interrupted my series. I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching about the Holy Spirit, you know? And he's like, I, this, I am speaking. Like, I felt it in, the, in the, the front seat. And he's like, start a series on the book of Ephesus, and bring, I'm going to bring you principles of each chapter that was not, just not only in the Bible, but was spoken to us. So are you ready? All right, Father, we just thank you for opening up our hearts. Father, I believe that you're saying something to our community. You're warning us, too, because there was warnings for the church of Ephesus. But, Father, you are paralytically, uh, parallel. You are paralleling the scriptures with something specific that you are desiring and are seeing here in our community. And I'm asking that not only will it increase, but it will be a culture of our lives. I pray that you would anoint us and you would activate us to be this type of community in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So I, I'm entitling us in the Ephesians community. And now what I'm going to do for the next six weeks now, in the next six weeks, I'll have, uh, we have a rotation of speakers here that are in-house because you know that if we're an Ephesians church, part of the Ephesians church is raising up people in their giftings. So you're not, I'm not the only voice. Come on, say Amen. Like I may, good, I may be good to give you uh, two or three streams, but there are other prophets that have prophetic streams, right? And they have more teaching streams. So uh, in the next couple of weeks, we will have, I will take each chapter of the book of Ephesians and break it down for you. Just get ready. Don't miss because 
We're going to have some guest speakers from in-house, but we're also going to complete this, and I believe it's going to touch you. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Don't read it yet, but Ephesians chapter 1. Um, actually, you know what? Uh, stay in Ephesians, but I may go to Acts first. But, but just to give you some historical background, so everyone look at me here, we're going to have a powerful time in the next several weeks because I believe that if God spoke this to us, then it's our job to pray it in so that we can see the results that Ephesians had, right? If we're going to be an Ephesians community, then we need to, to study what the Ephesians had, what the city had, what was going on in that time that made them see this uh, in this kind of light, in a revival. So uh, Ephesus, or the city of um, Ephesus, now remember, when they say Ephesians, is because they're from Ephesus, right? So it's like saying Apopkians, right? <laughs> it's like they're, they're, the Ephesians were from Ephesus, so the church at Ephesus, all right? And so the uh, Ephesus was the third largest um, city in the ancient world. It was equivalent to a New York in modern days. A New York City, it was booming. It was a metropolis. You just came back from New York, John, right? So it was a booming place, but partly it was because it was so booming in these early days because of what was happening in the church, come on, in Ephesus. Let me tell you, when true revival happens, businesses will prosper all over this place. Why? Because when people are starting to come to a place because they're hungry for God, they're going to have to go out to dinner. They're going to have to sleep in hotels. And all the business, I remember when the Brownsville Revival happened. I don't know if you guys were uh, uh, alive during the Brownsville Revival, but I went in 1997. And I tell you, I was, I was, we went there, we were lost, and we went to a place like 10, 15 miles away. And we went in there like, hey, sorry, sir. We're at, we went to some convenience store, and we're like, hey, we're looking for, and he interrupted me, and he said, you looking for the revival? The convenience store. He said, you need to go this way and then turn at such and such a place. And I'm thinking, all these places were booming because of the activity of the church. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. That revival was happening so much that people were getting converted all over the, over the city and their business was prospering. Right? So Ephesus was a revival center. Oh, come on, church. I want RCC to be a revival center. Not because look at us, it's because we're, we're not satisfied with normal. We want a move of God. You guys got dressed this morning, put on some makeup up if you're, if you're a, a, a lady, and you got here not just to fill a seat or fill a check mark. Hopefully you didn't do that. You came to encounter and experience God. And thank God here at RCC, we have a culture that we allow the Lord to move. Now, some people are freaked out about that. But guess what? If we were in the early church, many of you would be really freaked out. Because I tell you what, there was healings going on. There was demonic things going on. Uh, 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 spirits leaving. And so, so Ephesus was the largest revival in the book of Acts according to numbers and according to the manifestation of the Spirit. It was greater than Jerusalem in the book of Acts chapter 1 and 2 in the terms of numbers and documented things. So there's three big awakenings. Number one, it was Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 and 2 when the Holy Spirit uh, came out. Right? That's not point. But watch this. That's the way it should be. It should go from glory to glory to glory. It should get bigger. It shouldn't decrease. So the, the first revival should not be the cap of the great other, the next revivals, right, or the outpouring. So Acts chapter 1, the, out, the outpouring of the Spirit, that was in Jerusalem. Then you see the second big revival in the city of Antioch, right? 
If you read the Bible in Acts chapter 13, the city of Antioch, they came, Paul and Barnabas came there, and they were, it's so awesome because they sat like in the back of the synagogue. And if you read the story, they kind of like motioned to them, hey, brothers, do you have anything encouraging to say to people? Paul raised his hand, and he began to preach the word of God with fire. Literally, with fire in the synagogue, they're leaving, and every one of these, these Jews that were in Judaism, and you can read it for yourself, is there. They begged Paul to stay. The very next day, the Bible says the entire city came out to hear Paul preach. Could you imagine I give a, a, I give a sermon in a church, and they're so convicted and moved by the Holy Spirit that the next day, the whole city of Apopka hears me preach. The whole city of Apopka. We can't wrap our minds around that because we live in a comfortable Christian bubble. And we, we just do, and we go to Target, and we do that. Don't inconvenience my shopping time. Don't inconvenience my, my time with sports and basketball. Don't inconvenience my favorite show. I got to watch my favorite show, but, man, I'm going to go on Sunday, and I'm going to give it my all on Sunday. We, we, they did not, they did not, they loved every second of burning for Jesus. You know, and that is, the key, that is the key to starting revival is that when you've been walking for years with the Lord, are you still on fire? Are you still burning? You know, one of the things that, that uh, Enrique said that really touched my, my heart, he said, PG, you've been consistent. We've seen you be consistent. doesn't mean I've been without flaws. doesn't mean that I've been without weakness. But he said, you have been consistent in these last 20-something years that we've known you. I don't know how long we've known each other. But the key to revival is not starting well is consistency, right? Now watch this. Then came the third big revival, and it was in Ephesus. Now I'm giving you history so you guys know. Ephesus, watch this, was one of the largest, some theologians say was the biggest outpouring, bigger than Jerusalem, bigger than Antioch. In Acts chapter 19, verse, uh, actually, you know what? We're going to go to Acts chapter 19. I want you to see, but, but I'm going to start in verse 11 in the NLT. Now, don't put it yet, but I want you to give, I want to give you a highlight of what was happening in Ephesus. Watch this. Zoom in on me so that it could stir your faith so that you desire it here at RCC. Thank you for those five amens. Why, why do you think I had these, I, I, I felt that from the Lord. It wasn't planned. Why did you feel I had all these testimonies? Because you would realize that it's not just me trying to hype you up. It's real people with real testimonies and real healings. Right? Now, you either jump in the boat with me and believe in this or just stay on the sidelines. But eventually, you're going to want to jump in. Because you're never going to be happy in the sidelines. you got to, listen, the church is famous about dancing around the waters without ever jumping in the waters. If you want to get wet, jump all in. Don't give a toe. Don't give an arm. Get your whole body in there. Come on. So what happened is there, the Bible, just to give you a picture of what happened in Ephesus, uh, because I'm going to give you a foundation today. Today we're going to talk about chapter 1, just that one pillar. And there was unusual miracles, number one, that came out of the, the, the clothes of Paul. I, imagine being so prayed up and so anointed that Paul couldn't be everywhere at the same time. So in Ephesus, it was a big, booming city. Everyone in there were starting to have fiery passion for the Lord. And, the, and, and it's proven because the, imagine be, getting Paul's attention so much so that he puts you on his daily prayer list to pray for you every day. 
That was Ephesus. The Bible says Ephesus, while he was in prison, he says, I heard of your faithfulness to the Lord, and I have prayed for you every day that the spirit of wisdom will come on you and the knowledge of him. In another translation, she says, I pray for you every day. So, so the reputation of Ephesians where they were very faithful in the Lord. Now, I'm getting somewhere with this. So much so that the atmosphere was happening there that these, these, little, ap- these little pieces of his apron would be taken to sick people all the way across town, laid on those sick people. And the Bible says that the sick people got healed because of a little cloth that came from Paul's body. Imagine being so filled with God that, they, that you can't go to Claremont, but you just go, hey, take a little piece of my, my little hoodie right here and take, and take it to them and put it on their bed, and all of a sudden, they get supernaturally healed. Now, that may seem, oh, that's crazy. It happened. That's the outpouring that was happening in Ephesus, that it were, there were such miracles. Not only that, the Bible says that those pieces of cloth would actually be on demonically possessed uh, people, and I'm going to read it to you. And they would be delivered in Ephesus. Now watch this. Now you want to see? Oh, you want to see real revival? Are you are you ready for this? You know what else happened in in in, uh, in Ephesus? Paul the apostle started preaching. Right? And the famous story of the seven sons of Sceva, you guys know that. Those of you who know the Bible, you know, hey, I, I cast out the devil by the Jesus that Paul preaches, right? And, and the demon's like, you don't have any relationship with Jesus. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but I don't know you. And the Bible says he beat that guy up. The demon's in there, beat him up, and they fled naked. Now watch this. There was such fear of the Lord throughout the, the community of Ephesus that the Bible, oh, God. The, the, I'm talking about the fear of the Lord. When they saw that, they, the fe- I'm talking about in the entire city. The Bible says that without the pre- preaching, can you imagine while you're just sitting there and the power of God comes on you, they start confessing their sins. Like, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm dirty and I slept with this person last night and, oh my God, and I watched this. And, and the apostles of Paul and, and, and all these guys were like, okay, here's the fear of the Lord. They weren't freaking out. They're like, here, here, here it comes. Without a preacher, people were just voluntarily saying, I'm a sinner. I need to repent. And on top of that, you know what happened voluntarily? They were so convicted by God that everyone who practiced witchcraft, they got their books of incantation, the Bible says, and they threw it in a bonfire. Now watch this. I love reading in NLT because when you read it in the, in, in the New King James, you don't realize how much that was worth. You know, some sh- shackles of silver. Well, we don't know how that translates here. Several million dollars. That could have been used for city funds. Come on, somebody. Or, or, or paving of roads or what. They gave all that up because of what was happening in Ephesus. Look at chapter 19 so you see. Oh, this is good. Look at verse, look at verse um, put the whole screen up if you can. There it is. God gave Paul a power to perform unusual miracles. Listen to this. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases. <laughs> this, this, this is crazy, all right, of their diseases. Look, look at this. And, and evil spirits were expelled, all right? So I'm not just preaching, you know, some, some, some stuff here. Look at this. A group of Jews were traveling from town, casting evil spirits, trying to cast evil spirits out. They tried to use the name of the Lord in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. 
you got to be careful when you don't have a relationship with God that you don't mimic revival or mimic an outpouring just because it's very convenient and you haven't paid that price. Don't mimic, don't try to mimic stuff on an outward show to prove that you're spiritual when you don't have a prayer life. Anyways, I just keep going. So, <laughs> a seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest was doing this. Now watch this, keep going. But one time when they tried it, an evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? Keep going. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Now watch what happened in Ephesus when they saw this. And, and if I can pause and be honest with you, we're, uh, I say this in love, okay? No, this is not a rebuke. We are far from the fear of the Lord like this. We do not, I'm talking about even in this house. We, 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 I love you, and, I, and I try, I'm talking to myself, but there, when, we, when we see stuff like this now, we're like, so good. Someone just got delivered from, wow, that's just amazing. Did you see how that demon spoke? Man, that's, wow. The, watch this. The story of what happened spread quickly throughout Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. Watch what happened. Many who, who practiced, who, who, sorry, who, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices, right? A number of them who had been practicing sorcery, watch this, brought their incantation books. L listen, no one told them to do that. No one says, I I you know what, if you want revival, throw that book in the fire. They were so gripped by the fear of God that the Holy Spirit himself spoke to these people. Watch this. And practiced sorcery and their incantation books and burned them at the public bonfire. Are you ready for this? The value of the books were several million dollars. Several million dollars. What would happen here at RCC if adults or children or youth suddenly got so gripped by the power and the conviction of God and the loving fear of God, not condemnation, the healthy fear of God, and started repenting of their sins, turned to their, turned to their families and asked for forgiveness and turned to people that they've hurt and threw their drug paraphernalia in the fire and all the stuff that they're doing and they confess it. What would happen if in a service there would be such a conviction that someone interrupts me and says, I need to give this up now? That's what happened in Ephesus. It happened in Ephesus because the power of God. And you know what started that? The people of God. The people of God were hungry at one time at Ephesus. They were fiery. They were going after it. Why do you think I'm going after this? Because I want to see revival in our city. But more so, I want to see revival in your heart. I guarantee you, and I don't say this to judge, I guarantee you their faces when they were praying didn't look like prune juice. They didn't look like you just had prune juice or something like that. What, you know what I'm saying? They had powerful, passionate engagement. The church of Ephesus were, en were an engaging people. You know what the church of Ephesus was? It was a spirit-filled church. It was. And when people tell me, what, what, what are you guys? <laughs> what are you? I said, well, we're a non-denominational, spirit-filled, spirit-led church. That's the best way I could, I, I could do it. We're a little sloppy at times. We don't have it all polished. But boy, do we want to make room for God. Now, 
I, I, we could be a really uh, a perfect church where we end on time every single Sunday and we have no room for, the, you know, I mean, everything is polished. You get home on time. You get to eat lunch at an early time, right? We could do that. And <laughs> we, we haven't done that. You know why? Because we want to make room for the Holy Spirit to move. We want to have a culture at RCC that people get healed like they did this morning. Do you know on a Sunday morning how much of a taboo that is in 95% of the churches? Go ahead and visit some. Some of you guys have visited them. You're nodding your head. There's no way. It's like you just sit down and it's all about the one-man show. Sit down and let, you know, you give your thing and you sit down and shh, don't say anything. Don't talk back. I want you to talk back at church, right? But they don't. And so Ephesus was, uh, healings happened. Come on. Deliverance was happening. Passion for Jesus was happening. Listen, listen, here's where I'm, this is just my intro, okay? Hallelujah. It experienced one of the greatest revivals that we have known in the Bible. But it also received one of the greatest and sharpest rebukes from the Lord in the book of Revelation. And that will be in a couple weeks from now that I want to talk about that. Because if we are called to be a church of first love, that means that church eventually left that. So at first, it, Ephesus was very fired for the Lord. If you do history, they were we only look at the rebuke in Revelation, but we don't look at the history that for many years, the church of Ephesus was walking in first love. And then, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself because that's in like week three that I'm going to do that. But then, then they got a rebuke from that. So we got to be careful that we don't only pray to see miracles happening. That we don't only pray so that we can see the Holy Spirit move. That we are madly, that we pray because we're madly in love with Jesus and we want more of Jesus and we want more of this man. That's a whole other topic, but revival has become an idolatry in itself in the church. We pray for, we pray for a, a revival all the time without being passionately in love with Jesus. Come on, Holy Ghost. Thank you. Say amen. So coming to this reality, we hone in on the first major pillar of chapter one, which is this. Now here's the thing. Here's where I'm, gonna, I'm going to land is chapter one talks about these other little things, but the majority of the theme of chapter one is coming into our godly identity. Coming into our identity in Christ. Now I want you to put that first slide up, uh, Vic, Victor. One of the pillars of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, either Zach or um, Victor uh, up there. Let me read it again. One of, the, the, one of our pillar mandates, sorry, of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians is to walk in our biblical identity in Christ. Watch, watch. It doesn't stop there. And to help bring other people into their spiritual identity. I'm going to say that again. One of our pillar mandates of the chapter, first chapter of the book of Ephesians is to walk in our biblical identity and to help bring other people into our identity in Christ. You and I can never bring other people into their identity if we don't walk in our identity. I cannot give you what I haven't experienced. I could talk about it, but you will never feel it full force with conviction unless someone is actually living it. You know, if you're, if you're talking about being holy to someone and you're preaching about being holy and you're not holy in your private time, they, they are not fools. They're going to feel that, if I could say it lovingly, hypocrisy. Right? So a large part of the chapter 1 is revealing who we are uh, in Christ. So why do I say this? Because the Lord used the term 
in Christ. Watch this. In Christ or, I'm going to see, or in him. So the term in Christ, everybody say in Christ. Say in him. So anytime you hear phrases like in Christ, um, in him, are, like the word are, you are more than a conqueror. You don't have tools to be a conqueror. You are. That's your identity, right? So, so watch this. L- listen, listen to this. Zoom in on me here with your, with your focus, right? 216 times, I did a little study, that Paul the Apostle uses the phrase in him or in Christ in his epistles. Two, over 216 times. It gives you an idea why he wants to, why do you think he wants to repeat it so much? Why does God use the Apostle Paul to say over 216 times the phrase, in him, in him, in Christ. You are in Christ. You are in him. We are in him. We are in the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. Why? Why? Because he knew that we would forget. That's why over 216 times, and when I saw this, when I read this, I was astounded how God is so passionate about getting identity to you. He is so passionate that it seems like he repeats himself over and over and over because he knew the tendency of humanity that when situations come, we stop living like we're supposed to live and, and, and we start acting out of our situation instead of who we are. When we know our identity, we will walk in freedom in every area of our lives. Because there's a difference between who you think you are and who you really are. I'm going to say that again. There's a difference between who you think you are and who you really are when it comes to the, your, our, your godly identity. And you know what I love about identity? Because it talks about identity. We're, then we're going to go to Ephesians, right? You're saying, where is this at? I'm going to tell you in just a second is that when you and I walk in our godly identity, we will not be easily fooled. Oh, glory to God. We will not be easily fooled with the culture of our day of trying to say we have to fit in, the approval of man, the acceptance of people. We will not be fooled by things that happen in our lives that try to derail us and try to label us. When we know our identity, we will, listen, here's a little secret. You want confidence? Know your identity. Now, yes, you could pray for confidence. Yes, you could pray for boldness. But I, as I grow in the Lord, I'm thinking to myself, if people are saying, oh, pastor, pray for confidence, pray for boldness, I'll pray for it because the Bible says that they pray for boldness. But, but another layer of revelation is just study the scriptures to know what God says about you. Not what you feel in the moment. Guys, if you went by your feelings, no one will be ever victorious in the walk with God. One day you love God, the other day is like, hurry up, pastor, I'm hungry. I don't want to be here. My wife may be here. My, sp- my spouse may be here. Now, now look at this, look at this. Are, you, are we ready to shout? Look at this next, look at this next uh, um, point, point number two. Your identity is revealed when your understanding is unlocked. Your identity is revealed when your understanding is unlocked. Now watch this. That means it's always been there. So watch this. Watch this. That is just like, here's what identity is. Is if you've been walking in the streets for years and you are, and you're living poor and you're begging for food and you're begging for, and, and, you're, and you have raggedy clothes. I, I, I'm not trying to, I'm just giving you an example. And, and, and you're living this life of begging, not knowing that all this time 
you had an account that you never knew about, and you had millions of dollars in there. You were really a millionaire all this time. That never changed. But when your understanding is unlocked and someone tells you, hey, you've been doing this for 40 years, I, I'm sad to tell you, I want to drive you to the bank. Just say your last name, and they will say, you have a million dollars in there that you can live for the rest of your life. How is your, when your understanding is unlocked, how is your life going to change? First of all, you're probably mad. I've been living like this for all my life, like a beggar and an orphan, and I have a couple millions of dollars in the bank. First of all, you'll be really frustrated because you realize you wasted a lot of your life. Then you will say, give me my money. I'm... <laughs> I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to get some good clothes on, and I'm going to wash up, and my life is going to change. Well, guess what? It was unlocked. It was always there, but it got, un come on, son. It got, it got unlocked when someone revealed it to you. Your identity in Christ is there right now. Right now, you are the righteousness of God in him. You are an overcomer. You are a child of God. But unless your understanding is unlocked, you will continue to live like an orphan, though you have spiritually trillions of dollars in the spirit. Because you're with him in heavenly places. You're seated with him. <laughs> you're seated with him. You're in Christ. In Christ. You know what the Father sees when he sees Jesus? He sees you too. You say, oh, I can't believe that. You are in Christ. So if Christ is here and you're in Christ, when the Father sees Jesus, he also sees his creation. For those who know their identity and are walking in it. Oh, God. Okay, fine, fine. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 1 because I'm getting excited right now. And, I, and if you allow me to go just a little later than usual because we started late because of what happened. Amen. <laughs> Ephesians 1, real quick. Chapter 1, verse 1. I know you're enjoying this because, why am I saying this? I want this to happen for RCC and for us. If God prophesied that we are an Ephesians community, let's study the, the Ephesians and let's go after it. And, but, but not just for a service. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let's be hungry for God. Let's be hungry for righteousness. Let's know our identity. And I'm doing my part as a shepherd to try to reveal your, what, what was already there. It is impossible for the devil to take something that he never gave you. <laughs> but once it's unlocked, everybody say unlocked. You will start acting. I said it right. Acting differently. See, the world identifies you by your actions and they'll say, you are a liar. You are a misfit. You are the black sheep of the house. You are rebellious. R, R. That's all identity. But God says when you find out who you are, you will automatically start acting like Scripture when you really truly walk in your identity. Why? Because you say, that's not who I am. This is who I am. Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. The letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. I'm writing to God's, so it's a city and it's a church in Ephesus that he's writing to. Now, I want you to think about if he's writing to you, to RCC, to you. I'm writing to God's holy people in RCC. Let's just say that, in, uh, in Ephesus, right? 
who are faithful followers of Jesus. My God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you peace and grace. Grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Keep going. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, God decided in advance, oh Lord, this is part of your identity, to adopt us. Let me just pause. To adopt us. Let me say that again. To adopt us. Before you read any further, I got to say this about adoption. When someone legally gets adoption, they have the right of every single right and privilege of the person who adopted them. So when you're adopted into the house, that means you could go into the refrigerator just like the real sons and just like the biological daughters, and you could open the refrigerator anytime you want because you are a daughter in the house. You are a son in the house. You could take a shower when you want. You can watch TV when you want because when you're truly adopted and you do the right things, you'll get the finances. No, keep it up there. Keep it up there. You, you'll get the finances. Watch this. Part of your identity is not that we're slaves anymore. Part of your identity in Ephesians is we have been adopted. Oh, I could preach for a whole hour on adoption. I could, I could imagine, you know, you know uh, uh, us fathers that went, you know, or, or people that didn't get, that didn't get, um, uh, uh, Babies, and they're going to this adoption agency, and they're looking at babies. Think about this. They're looking at babies. Oh, that's a cute one. I want this one. Or I want a little Chinese one. Or I want a little this one. But whatever. I want a Spanish girl, right? We all say that, right? We all say that. And then we pick one up, and we bond with it, and we say, I want that one. I want that one. And you pick it up, right? Sorry, he or she, not it. You pick her up. You pick him up. And you sign the adoption papers, and they're yours. You take care of him. You take care of her. You feed her. You clothe her. You lay them on one of the beds that you created and rooms for her. Father, he said, Jesus, go on the cross. I'm going to look at all humanity. I said, I picked them to come with me. I picked them. I picked them to come with me, and I'm going to clothe them with my son's clothes. went to the closet. That's where my son was there. He paid a price for you. You could get some of his clothes. You could get some of his benefits. You could use what was in his room. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. I love that. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus and Father having a conversation. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this, man. I, I, you know, you, they're really crazy. You, you don't need to die for them, right? It was like, I want to do this. Do you realize, son, that you're going to be crucified? They're going to hit you. Yes, I know that. Send me. I want to do this because I want them so bad. This is what he wanted to do. And he gave, listen, I wept when I, when I read this in my private time. And it gave him great pleasure. It gave him, it's like, whew, I love this. This is, oh, I feel great. Think about the, the time that makes you the happiest. To some of you ladies, it's shopping, right? <laughs> and it gave him great pleasure, right? Now watch. Keep going. Now look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Sorry, sorry, verse 6. So we praise God. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured on us who, to belong to his dear son. Now, now look at verse 11. Jump to verse 11. 
Furthermore, because we are uh, united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. This is Ephesians church, right? All about identity. Chapter 1, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Can I hear an amen? So Ephesians talks about adoption, about being in Christ. Let me tell you something. You will go through a wall when you figure out that's who you are. When you realize that's who you are, you will realize I have been acting out out of an orphan spirit and mindset instead of sonship, instead of being a daughter in Christ. There's three levels of identity, and I'm going to try to wrap this up. Everybody say three levels. Say three levels. All right. Put that uh, slide up, please. Uh, three levels of identity. All right, the first level, and I want you to take notes in this. Your first level is your achieved identity. Now, the, the first two I'm going to say, they're not the healthy ones, okay? They're, they're, they're everything that we do. Probably 95% of the body of Christ, unfortunately, operates in these two. Probably 90. I'm just, I'm giving you a random number. So, everybody say achieved identity. So achieved identity is um, your identity that comes through your accomplishments. What society says you are, what the world says you are, what we do, what we work. In other words, our jobs, even our titles that are good, we identify ourselves with that. What are you? I am a pastor. Do you know that before I'm a pastor, I'm a child of God? But we say that. I am, I am a banker. What do you, what do you, who are you? What do you do? I am a doctor. Do you see those identity phrases? Nothing wrong with that, but I just want to unlock your understanding that you're more than what you do. I am a lawyer. I am a pastor. Now, even that can be trapping because if my identity is only a pastor, then I cease to become a son of God, a child of God. And that means that I'm only for other people's service and not for the Lord's. Yes, my, my pastorate is the calling that I do. I love what you, you said, Kevin. It's, the calling is not what intimidates people in the body of Christ. It's the, their belief in what they've been called to do. Because they don't believe that they're worthy enough. They don't believe that they're worthy enough. So when you know your identity, you can actually receive your calling in confidence and not walk in false humility because you, want, you don't want to grab something that's already yours. Can you imagine God saying, you're going to be a, a worship leader? I mean, whatever. You know, you're going to be a, a worship uh, leader. And, and you say, no, 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 Lord. It's, it's, you know. You're unworthy. If you, if you don't know your identity, you don't, it has nothing to do with singing. It has everything to do with this is who you called me to be, but I could receive that calling because I know who I am. So I receive my calling Believe me, I'm talking to myself. For years, I, I rejected pastoring. And everyone would say, I see the call of God in your life. And see, when I was younger, I see the call of God in your life. I want you to go to that church and preach. And I said, I won't preach, but I'll pray. Imagine me saying that. But that's how scared I was. I didn't know who I was. Right? So, so this type of identity, this achieved identity, listen to me. Listen to me, guys. Will change from season to season depending on what you're going through. Your achieved identity, if you're, if you're operating in achieved identity, it will change from season to season based on what you're going through. 
If you're broke in the season, then your identity will change in that season. If you're having good money or good success, then your identity will change for that season. If, you're, uh, if, you're, if your family is giving you problems and you have these things and you're not doing enough, then your identity will change. That is torturous identity. So what, what you work, like I said, like a doctor, a lawyer, pastor, whatever, all right? In your achieved, uh, watch this, guys, listen to this. In your achieved identity, you will never, ever be able to achieve it enough. The Lord gave me that phrase. In your achieved identity, trying to get your identity by what you do, you will never, ever achieve it enough. It will always escape you. Just when you say, okay, I want this promotion, and then I will be happy. Then I am successful. Then you get that promotion, you realize, wait a minute, I still feel the same. I still feel the same. Why? Because it will change, and you will never, ever be able to achieve the ultimate achieved identity if that's what your identity is, and we need to change, right? So achieved identity, it has to do with uh, you striving. You keep striving to be somebody great, pursuing an identity, uh, achieved identity. You will never be satisfied with that reality. Can I hear an Amen. The second type of identity, and then we're going to, and the third one we'll call the worship team up, all right? Say two, number two. Number two, say two. Are you enjoying this? You want me to keep going? You're not just saying that? <laughs> like someone's going to say, yeah, I am saying that. Hurry up. You'll be the, like, the minority in the room, right? Like, <laughs> All right, deceived identity. Everybody say deceived identity. Now listen to me very well. Many in the body of Christ are bound by this second type of identity. And the deceived identity comes directly from the accuser of the brethren. The enemy uses things like, ready? Are you ready for this? To, to define you, condemnation, shame. You're good for nothing. You've lost it. You no longer can be trusted. Look at what happened with your marriage. Look at what happened with your finances. You started a business, watch this, and it went bankrupt. And you had to tell all your employees that you can't pay them anymore. Your deceived identity. Because the Bible says that he accuses, the devil accuses the saints Day and night, I have a news flash for you, church. He will never stop accusing you until you accept his identity for your life. You're worthless. You're foolish. You didn't pray for three days. How can you be in leadership? You, 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 you got angry. You're a hypocrite. You know how many times you have to fight those things because you had a legit argument with your wife or, or your husband, which is real life. And then you have an argument. This happened to me. I'll be arguing with my wife or my kids, and the next day or the same day, the enemy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to get up there in that pulpit, aren't you? You don't think you're all bad, because, but you just, you just had an argument with your wife. You have to know how to repent quickly and say, I'm sorry, but this is who I am. Look at Revelations. Look at Revelations. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. Actually, you, you're doing pretty good this morning. Actually, you, you, you actually, you're actually beating me this morning. You're actually shouting back. You're actually alive today. Come on. So I take that back. You're actually, you're actually doing uh, better than me. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil. Where, where am I at? Okay, yeah. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> or Satan. Everybody say Satan. 
No, seriously, so you know where it comes from. The one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Now watch this, guys. Watch this. Could you put the whole screen instead of the, instead of the, the, the half screen there? If that's okay. Well, anyways. So he said, uh, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren. Now watch this. He's here on earth. The accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, watch this, who accuses them before our God day and night. Every day. There is no rest for the enemy. The deceived identity means that you believe in your identity as being condemned. As Do you know what condemnation does to an identity? It, it, it freezes you. It paralyzes you because you feel like you're not worthy to do what God called you to do, to evangelize, to share the gospel, because you had failures in your life, but you've taken that as your identity, and therefore you no longer want to do anything for fear of being called a hypocrite. I don't want to do it because I legitimately had an argument with my, and I'm not talking about fake, you legitimately had an argument with you. so guess what, that reality right there says, don't get on the, on the stage. I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about purposeful hidden sin that you're like, like selling drugs and, and, and doing all this sexual fornication. No, you, you, there needs to be that time, not of condemnation, but of realizing I need to slow down because, watch this, some of you guys' identity is actually in what you do for the Lord, and that's why there's no repentance in what you're doing for in holiness because you don't want to be taken away from a position that God has given you in a ministry or in a church. So we repent not, we repent not because we hurt the heart of God because we want to lose a position. We repent not because we hurt the heart of God. But we don't want to give up the area that we're gifted in. And that is also a deceived identity where it says, like, you could do the work of the Lord and be perfectly fine to everybody else, but you're sinning every day in your life. That's where there's a problem, okay? Now, your deceived identity is from the enemy himself. It's, it's, now, watch this. Now, watch this. It's all the things that happened to you. I'm going to name a couple names, and this may sting a little bit. But I want you to know if it stings, it's because the enemy is trying to regurgitate that into your spirit, all right? Words like this. Let's say you had a marriage problem, and you try to be faithful, and things, watch this, things didn't work out. Listen, listen, listen. Things didn't work out, and you got divorced. If you don't know your identity, you're, they're going to say, hey, how are you doing? Watch this. I am divorced. So now you take on that identity. Watch, I, I am divorced. Listen. Hey, I know that your father left you. Yeah, I am fatherless. And you start speaking, I am fatherless. I'm fatherless. So you take on the failures of your life as your identity. It names you. I'm divorced, fatherless. I'm, I got pregnant out of wedlock. So you hold that against you, right, as your identity. I'm broke. I filed for bankruptcy. For those of you who file for bankruptcy, if you don't know who you are, that's, that could be a very shameful thing that could uh, hinder you for the rest of your life. Get over it. You're a child of God. We all make failures. Take the dust off. Repent and know that you are still in the beloved. Can't be trusted, right? 
Remember that Jesus called the devil the father of lies. <laughs> like, he, he's like, from your own, you don't even have lies. You, you are the father of it. Look at, real quick, and then I'm going to uh, uh, have the worship team come up. Look at John. Woo, I feel the Holy Spirit here. Look at John chapter 8, verse 42. Look at this. Look at John chapter 8, verse 42. Worship team, you can start getting up here. John chapter 8, verse 42. Look at the screens, guys, real quick. Jesus told them, if God, now, now, now you, think, you think I'm gangster sometimes, right? Watch this, Tiffany. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to your own. I am not here on my own, but God sent me. Look what he says next. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't hear me, right? Now watch this. You are of the children of your father, the devil. <laughs> Jesus is like, you know why you can't hear me? Because you're receiving a deceived identity. Woo. You know why you can't hear my words? Because you have allowed the devil to define you. Watch this. You are the children of the, your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Let that sink in. He, oh, anytime you feel you're bucking against truth is because the enemy hates truth. Let me say that again. If there's a preaching or a teaching or a sentence, a sentence that is piercing your heart and you're just like, no, shut up, don't listen to that, and you don't allow yourself to be convicted, it's because the enemy is trying to resist you from receiving truth because he knows that if truth comes in, it will set you free. He always hates the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he lies, he's a liar, and the father of lies. So the second identity that you and I have to battle with is a deceived identity. Say deceived identity. Some of you, while I'm preaching, you realize I've been walking in a deceived identity. I've been going around still identifying myself by my mistakes. Hello? I'm identifying myself by mistakes. Here's a really cool phrase for you, and it's really deep. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let it go. Wait a minute. Where's the deep stuff? That is the deep stuff. Let it go and refuse to believe that you are a byproduct of your mistakes. No more. You have to say, put your foot on the ground and say, look, am I an achieved identity person where I get my identity based on what I do, right? Some of you guys are like, you're workaholics. I, I love you, but I know, I know I was like that. You get your identity by what you do, watch this, or don't do. That's achieved identity. Oh, I'm not doing nothing for God. I must be a bum. Look at all these people starting prayer. Ah, look at this. Achieved identity is from the enemy, condemnation, shame, guilt. The third identity, we're closing with this. Oh, this is good stuff, guys. You want to be a church of Ephesians? This is what it's about, right? Number three, your received identity. There's achieved identity, there's deceived identity, identity, and then there's your received identity. Your received identity is directly from the Lord, our creator and our maker, about the original intent of why he created you and who he created you. Now listen to this. This identity caused us to have an untouchable, listen to me, an unchangeable purpose. Untouchable and unchangeable purpose because the one who gave it to us is from heaven who never changes. So the received identity is that you are a child of God. You are, watch this, 
are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are holy. That's an identity phrase. That, 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 that's an identity phrase. Be holy as I am holy. That means identity. Do you know that as Christians, we should represent holiness everywhere we go? Your life will change forever and will be the most stable. Come on, stay stable. If you know your received identity. I'm, I'm closing with this. You know why I say stable? Because if you were to... If you were to interview me in a room, right, where no one's looking, and you were to say, Pastor George, what frustrates you the most about the body of Christ? Are you ready? Now, I'm going to give you my, my answer, right? There's a lot of things that, that can frustrate us. Inconsistency. Unstable. Happy one week, and then got to do five hours of counseling the next week because they got an argument. But wait, you just got a breakthrough last week. You just confessed that God was doing something, and then two weeks later, you stopped going to church. Three weeks later, now you're backslidden, and now you have to have all this repair done. It's up and down, up and down. Come on, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know what I'm talking about. Up and down. You're fire, and then you're not on fire. And then you call, and then you cry, and then you get healed, and then you go strong for a couple weeks, and then you go back, and then you miss, and then you get offended, and then you go back, and then you start start going to wilderness and you start going to clubs and then you repent and you go back and you're all on fire for God and you do the same inconsistency when you know you received identity and you're fully walking with it you will have stability because the biggest warfare is in your mind can I say an amen and this is who we are I'm closing with this last scripture if you guys can help me put this back up we're just going to pray right now I know it's 1230 so I want to make sure that we pray. I want everyone to stand up. How many want to be in the Ephesians community? Look at that, that scripture in Romans. You can put that last scripture in Romans. And we're going to read it together. For as many, listen, read this to me, with me. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Woo! But you receive the spirit of adoption, who we cry out, Abba, Abba, Father. I want everyone to lift up your hands right now. The worship team, if you could just play something. And I want us to be stirred this morning. If you're sitting there and you say, I have an uh, achieved identity mindset or a deceived, I've been battling with these things. I want to be a church of Ephesus where I know my identity. In just a few minutes, I know it's late, but if this is for you, I want you to respond in a couple minutes so that we can break that and come into your received identity. Come on, everyone lift up your hands real quick. One last time, come on. Let's just worship the Lord right now. Let the Word of God hit you. Let the Spirit of truth come on you. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.